0: Uh, Welcome to uh, our program tonight. Uh, We have uh, a surfeit of programs today at Stanford. We had another program that began at 4.30. Some of you I know attended there. I was also there. Uh, We were talking about the images and voices of uh, Iranian women and women in the Middle East. There is a wonderful exhibit at uh, Cantor. If you haven't seen it, I strongly suggest you go. Uh, and uh, uh, three scholars were talking about uh, those images and the emerging voices of uh, women in the Middle East. Uh, one of them, uh, Dominique Brookshaw, will be giving another talk tomorrow at uh, 1 o'clock in Encino Hall, uh, in the Philippines room in Encino Hall Central, talking about, again, women's voices uh, in Iran, how they like to be uh, heard and seen. Uh, the talk will be in English. Uh, Dominic Brookshaw has done some really remarkable work on introducing uh, uh, woman voices, woman poets, woman writers of Iran in the 19th century and 20th, early 20th century. Uh, before I say f- f- introduce our guest tonight, I want to tell you about an event that we just uh, got finished organizing. Uh, if you go on our website, you will see the details of it. Uh, this is an event that will take place April 26th uh, at 6 p.m. It will be in the NVI Nvidia Auditorium at Stanford. It is called An Evening with Iranian Scholars. Uh, it is an event that we organize, organized, the Iranian Studies, with the help of Stanford's uh, Persian Student Association. And we have been planning this now for about a year. And we thought that uh, people, particularly in our community, don't know how many different professors or scholars are doing really fascinating work in, uh, at Stanford University from neuroscience to engineering from Iranian theater to uh, Iranian politics <coughs> so we got uh, ten of them to uh, ten of them uh, the professors uh, uh, Arbabian, uh, beizai uh, Mani, uh, Moghadam, who is a Stanford, board of, uh, uh, trustees, a Stanford Board of Trustees member of the Stanford Board of Trustees, Hamide who was endowed our program and my position. Ali Mani, uh, Parviz Muin Joseph Parvizy, Amina Saberi, uh, Amir Safavi Noini Yahya Tabesh, Behnam Tabrizi. These are from a wide range of different domains. Uh, we will, I will be there as well. We will be each talking about what it is that we do at Stanford. Uh, the pro- program will be in Persian, uh, and it is intended to give a sense to the wider community of the multiplicities of things that are happening here by this range of uh, uh, professors uh, and scholars. Uh, Our guest tonight, uh, Professor Solish Ahwar, uh, comes from Haifa. He's traveled far to be with us. We've been trying to get him to come here for uh, about, uh, I think, a year. Uh, Finding a time that works for him and works for us uh, has proven to be uh, difficult. Uh, He is uh, the head of the center uh, for... uh, Iran and Persian Gulf Studies at the University of Haifa. Uh, He's a professor at that uh, university. He has written extensively on Iranian culture politics, uh, Israeli culture politics, Iran and Israel relations. And then uh, I think this is his dissertation, uh, dissertation on uh, the role of the Baha'i schools in early education in Iran one of those topics that uh, has been little discuss- uh, discussed before his work. His work is, in a sense, a pioneering work of scholarship. Uh, there is a film about the t- uh, these schools, uh, and uh, we had an opportunity to maybe show it, but because we had announced the program to be an English a program, and there was no uh, subtitles for it. We did not end up showing it. Uh, We were going to show clips of it, but in the program, in the film, uh, I haven't seen the film yet, but I hear that one of the sources for the film is the scholar who is here tonight. So uh, without the film, we have the scholar that is the original source of many of these stories. So please join me in welcoming Professor Shafash. Turn off your phones.
1: Good evening. Can you? I'm heard? Well, not good? Does it go up or.? Okay. Um, It's a pleasure. It comes from your mic. Oh, it's the mic. So you can put it a little higher. Put it that way. Okay. Okay. It's a pleasure to be here. I wish to thank uh, Dr. Milani for uh, inviting me to this place, uh, to this uh, honoured place and prestigious uh, academic centre. And I would like also to thank uh, Mrs. Uh, Pasang Sherpa who took care of all the administration. and. Uh, um, just a correction it's not my dissertation uh, my dissertation was uh, on uh, the advent of telegraphy into the middle east uh, but it's a topic that i found it uh, quite interesting after um, being uh, after participating uh, not uh, actively but passively among the audience in the first com- international conference on the Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Babi Baha'i religion that uh, was a result of uh, a chair that was given to the Hebrew University, chaired by Professor Moshe Sharon, regarding Baha'i studies. And uh, when they announced that conference, and uh, I heard about the things, uh, the different uh, was three days' uh, conference, and uh, they, they announced that the next international conference is going to be in London, Switzerland, and the theme of it would be education. So I was brainstorming with myself. I want to participate, but what I'm going to, to present. And then the question of the role of the Baha'is uh, and in education by schools, stuff like that, uh, came to my mind. And I started to, the more I uh, delved into it, I saw that there is no mention of any Baha'i uh, schools. Then the question came to myself, is uh, how come the biggest religious minority in Iran it's not mentioned. You have the Jews, the Christians, the Zoroastrians, but no mention of the Baha'is and, of course, their, their schools. Then there must be something here. And from that started, uh, well, uh, I would say, two books by now and uh, a number of articles. So that's the story behind this uh, thing. So with your permission, I will start. Modernity, the Baha'i faith, and the question of modern education in late Qajar and early Pahlavis which is more or less the period, the span of period that uh, the Baha'i schools operated in Iran. So when we talk about modernity in Iran, uh, we can say, uh, to sum up, ideas of modernity uh, uh, came from various channels. I mentioned few. Contact with the West. The contact with the West uh, raised the issue of uh, the superiority of the West over the Islamic states, in this case, Iran, and from that, the question came after that, what we can do in order to bridge the gap with the West. It was in the field of military, the first major clash you know about the iran russia um, um, uh, wars in the beginning of the nineteenth century um, channel of another channel was the diplomatic contact consular uh, uh, ambassadors and the staff of dip- diplomatic embassies from Western countries. Of, on the daily basis, growing more contacts with the local uh, people. Economic, mainly concessions and loans that came along mainly in the second part of 19th century. Uh, cultural contacts uh, here, of course we can see a, a lot of uh, influence from di- different directions, but mainly French, for example. that's why for the, up to the '60s, after the 1960s, we have a major uh, French uh, uh, cultural influence in Iran. Uh, educational, which we will talk about it today more in uh, detail. Uh, the education was, of course, the uh, various schools and uh, that uh, were uh, established in Iran by uh, uh, foreign uh, 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 organizations and movements, and of course, religious. Religious, uh, for example, if we talk about the missionary schools, there is the is uh, um, contact with another religion, which is not your religion. If you are not a Christian, of course. Uh, For example, my father, I'm not a Baha'i, I'm a Jewish, so my father uh, studied in Esfahan in an American Presbyterian uh, school. So, in his way, he was in contact with a a Christian. And like himself, many others studied in uh, various religious schools and I know, for example, Iranians that studied, non-Jewish Iranians that studied in the Alliance Israelite Universelle, the, the French-Jewish uh, movement. So the contacts were multidimensional, multilateral. Ideas of modernity uh, also came from inside Italy, uh, Iran. We know about reform-minded state officials, such as Abbas Mirza, the uh, governor of Azerbaijan, who died in 19- 1833, Mirza Ghassim Gaya his uh, premier, and other premier, like uh, Amir Kabir, Bashir dole dawleh Amin al-Dawleh, etc. There were also returning Iranians from Western countries. Iranians that went to the West, either to do business or to study, and came back, they came with their own load of not only vocali- vocabulary, new vocabulary, but also uh, <coughs> impressions, uh, cultural uh, f- effects. Uh, and I give here a number of examples, like Miza Saleh Shirazi, Miza Musta- M- Mustafa Afshar, and many others. Also, Iranian intellectuals, some of whom were influenced by by Western uh, ideas, uh, whether by going to the West or being uh, reading about the West. And here also, the number are uh, quite a lot, uh, such as Abu Talib Sfani, Mirza Malcom Khan Azam al-Dawla, Abdurrahim Talib of Tabri-Zi, Mirza Yusuf Khan Mustashar al-Dawla, Mirza Fadkhali Azunzazeh, and uh, there are a lot of others. Uh, influence of, um, of uh, Western ideas came also through the written word, whether it is the press, whether it is books, that were either written by locals or translated. And also uh, communication technology played a, a major uh, a factor here in bringing ideas from the West. I mentioned steam engine, mainly because through the steam engine, the news uh, came faster and more so with the electric uh, telegraph. So uh, these also had their own influence. The influence of other Muslim countries. We see that Iran is secluded in a, in a way uh, uh, in the east, uh, in the eastern part of uh, of the Middle East, uh, divided from Europe by the vast territories of Ottoman Empire, which was hostile mostly to Iran, so uh, ideas came usually much later uh, to Iran. Uh, but uh, in a way, Iran being a Shiite country, uh, at least some thinkers or some uh, statement in Iran uh, actually thought that if the Ottomans can modernize the Sunni Ottomans then we can do it also. So this was kind of uh, uh, brought it from a higher level of this is far from us to something more tangible that we can do it as well. And of course the Babi and ba- Baha'i uh, the Babi movement and the Baha'i faith which had uh, uh, in my view, a vast influence in Iran since the uh, middle of the 19th century, but unfortunately has been disregarded entirely. So, uh, here we can talk about modern ideas such as monogamy, unveiling, emancipation of women, uh, permission to take riba or interest on commercial transactions, globalization, universal education, equality between people, the rule of law, limitation of the absolute rule, human rights and uh, many more ideas, modern ideas, that actually are mentioned in uh, the Baha'i writings. I gave here two examples, Kitab-e-Aqdas by Bahá'u'lláh and The Secret of Divine Civilization by his son, Abdul Baha, which which actually is a treatise in order to, uh, in uh, in which there is a lot of uh, ideas how uh, Iran could be promoted. And uh, there are some studies. Uh, already done, uh, like uh, Juan Cole study and a number of other studies that uh, actually uh, do uh, prove or do uh, uh, indicate the influence of this treatise on ideas of other intellectuals which don't qu- quote uh, uh, secret of divine civilization as the source of their uh, thoughts. So, here we go. Now, the role of modern education, of course, it's uh, in the modernization process of Iran. It's uh, one of the most important pillars. Uh, um, by, I mentioned before that there was uh, the people were asking about uh, the source of uh, superiority or the secret of superiority of the West. One of those was actually the the uh, the, the education, the, educa- the Western education, which needs to be imitated. Uh, and uh, there are a number of uh, intellectuals who Iranian intellectuals that talked about this um, n- like for example uh, mirza malkhol khan um, um, mentioned this, uh, modern schools as the kar um, karkhaneh adam sazi or something like that that it, it's it's a place that it makes the modern per- person uh, that is uh, capable to actually uh, live and uh, accommodate in the modern world uh And there was, of course, the need to produce local qualified cadres for uh, the different uh, fields of reform during, uh, from mid 19th century onwards. Well, in the Baha'i faith, the education has a very important uh, uh, place. It's first of all, it's a religious duty. And that's a major thing to understand. It's a religious duty to, to educate yourself and your children and among the children, there is a preference over the women, because women are going to actually educate the next generation. It is with the mother that the people uh, the, that the kids grow, not the father. Father is out usually out of home. So the role of, uh, between the two, the uh, importance of uh, uh, education for girls, it's very important. Um, And uh, in the Bahá'í faith, through the education, you can understand by yourself, not by uh, uh, intermediary what the writings, the holy writings are actually telling you to do. You don't need these ulama, alem, yes, all these uh, clerics in order to interpret it for you. So uh, in a way, it negates this uh, class of uh, the ulama or the mujtahids. And therefore, this is one of the basis or basics of uh, the hatred or the opposition of the uh, Shiite clerics toward uh, the Baha'is in Iran. Um, Now, regarding the advent of modern schools into uh, Qajar Iran. Well, there was a traditional schooling that we know about, the Maktab or Madrasa, yes, the traditional schooling, which didn't have any modern uh, content, mainly religious in content. Uh, and it happened also, uh, it occurred that took place also in the Muslim uh, and as well as the uh, mi- religious minority co- uh, 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 communities. Uh, in early modern schools in uh, Iran, usually we are talking about the uh, uh, missionary schools which started to operate in mid-1830s in Iran. First by American Presbyterian, the French Lazarite cas- uh, Catholics. And then the British Anglican, which had also a branch that called the Society for Promoting Christianity among the Jews. Because all these missions, different missions, actually, uh, um, they were uh, uh, rivals. Because they were actually trying to uh, convert as much as possible of uh, people from... Uh, other religions and within the Christian communities, from one, uh, one one school, for example, from Presbyterian to Anglican, and from from the Catholic to to the Presbyterian and likewise. So they were within the, some rivalry within the Christian community as well. And uh, as far as we know, is that uh, it up to the 1870s. Most of the uh, activity of the uh, foreign missionary schools were among the Christian uh, community and uh, gradually from the 1870s onward, we see them entering also the uh, Muslim uh, Shiites. There were also the state-run schools uh, initiated by the state such as the Dar al-Funun and uh, Dar al-Funun in Tehran, Dar al-Funun in Tabriz, and then uh, we have the uh, school of uh, Ulum Siyasi and uh, Dar al-Tarjameh, and there's a number of them. But those were limited mainly to the aristocracy and didn't respond to the needs of the uh, of, of Iran itse- itself. We know that Iran was some at the beginning of the 19th, uh, 20th century, Iran is uh, about 10 million uh, people at the beginning of the uh, 19th century, something about six million people. So we are talking uh, state uh, state schools that actually didn't respond to the needs of such a growing population. So these were, I know, they were already, uh, as I said, they were limited to aristocracy, the children of the aristocracy. Foreign cultural education organization like Alliance Française or Alliance Universelle, I may mentioned before. Um, and also local private run schools more towards the end of the 19th century we see for example the activity of Anjoman-e Mu'arif which is translated as the educational education uh, uh, society uh, led by Amin al-Doleh um, and here we see some initiatives by Muslim uh, uh, some of them uh, merchants some of them some uh, uh, other people that they were actually establishing uh, modern uh, schools run by Muslims, initiated by Muslims, and then foreign uh, minority educational organization. And here we talk about Jews, which is Aliyah Israeli University, Zoroastrians, uh, mainly from initiated by the Zoroastrians of uh, in in India, from Mumbai, and the Bahais. Now, when we're talking about the Bahais and the School of Bahais i can ask uh regard this respect in iran within the time span that i mentioned at the, the beginning is the raise three fundamental questions why uh, the first Bai school was uh, established in 1899 in tehran so the question raises is why mozaffaridin shah who ruled iran at that time or was the king at that time not so much ruled over the whole country Um, Why did he and the later Qajari uh, monarchs uh, establish uh, or permitted the establishment of uh, Baha'i schools? Because after all, as we know, the Baha'is were persecuted horridly, horrifiedly, through, since the beginning of the Babi movement, or a few years after the beginning of the Babi movement, uh, definitely from 1848 and onwards, by the state and the ulama. So how come the state is giving those... uh, uh, Baha'is who are actually not recognized by Islam and opposed by both the state and uh, the ulama uh, to open schools that's uh, it's a striking uh, issue and then on the end of the, this uh, uh, operation of this school we can ask why did Reza Shah Pahlavi who had uh, much in common with some Baha'i ideas close those schools As as we know, Reza Shah was a a nationally secular statement, opposed to the clerics, the Shia clerics, pro-modernizing and modernizing, modernizing, westernizing, things that uh, very much corresponded to the ideas of the Baha'is. So why he was the one that closed those schools? And then what conclusions could we drive regarding the current historiography on modern Iran from this example of uh, education? Well, referring to question number one, uh, I uh, think uh, about a number of reasons. And uh, in my view, the main reason for opening uh, or permitting the opening of boys' school is the process of reform in Iran, in general, and in education in particular. There was growing pressure from below for modern education, uh, which meant for many the ladder for better job, or from uh, those who are in a bad economic situation, for uh, uh, for the child to actually take the family out of the, uh, their misery and the poverty to bring it to a, a better position, because a better job would pro- probably produce a better income, and uh, of course it would improve the uh, the the life of those uh, of his family. Um, the state wasn't able probably to produce a state run system educational system like did like Reza Shah did later in the uh, in the 1820s and 30s so in this way probably the qajar shahs uh, permitted all or well, whoever was pass- uh, could uh, actually pay for establishing schools, to establish schools. That's why, for example, we have, as I mentioned before, a number of uh, uh, initi- Muslim initiatives for opening schools, and uh, the, the permission for, for example, the Jews to operate this Alliance Israelite Universitaire in 1898, a year before the Baha'is, could be an indication of kind of a liberation or liberalizing uh, Attitude towards the opening of schools or modern schools by minorities as well. Um, Support from reform-minded figures. Probably there were a lot of people who are, as we said before, uh, intellectuals and others, uh, politicians, statesmen, uh, high officials that were uh, supporting uh, reforms in general and uh, the establishment of modern schools in uh, particular. Then, of course, there were four for such a such initiative. Again, among those officials, there were a lot of people who were either Bahais, proclaimed Bahais, disguised Muslims, but Bahais, and also Muslims that were that liked the ideas of the Bahais. Uh, there were in the uh, different documents, for example, uh, from the Brown archives and from uh, I, m- I mean E.G. Brown, E.G. Brown, uh, Edward Granville Brown, or from the Russian archives, uh, uh, the the, um, the officer, the Russian officer uh, Vladi- um, Alexander Tumansky, who came to in in the 1890s to Iran and made an investigation of the. Baha'is in Iran and also of Ashgabat on the other side of the border. Uh, He found out, for example, that there are uh, uh, governors, uh, tribal leaders, two Bakhtiari tribal leaders he mentions. There is also an Arab uh, um, um, uh, tribal leader and many high officials that are Baha'is. And actually, I mean, there is a a lot of discussion regarding the number of Baha'is in Iran. So the range goes from something 100,000 in this period, end of 19th century, to, uh, to Moscow even mentioned maybe a million, one tenth of the population. So there is a lot of obscurity here between the, uh, that, that what explains the range, but it means that there were, they had a major influence in the community. Baha'i connections with Western countries who had much influence in Iran, Britain, Russia, France, and also the United States. With all of them, uh, the Baha'i community uh, and leadership maintained good uh, relations. They were courted, for example, from the beginning, the Bab and later Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Baha uh, by Russians. And they were contact with the British uh, also uh, to some extent, also uh, France and also United States. The, the United States was the uh, from the 1903 and onwards, from the beginning of 20th century. But uh, all those uh, um, uh, powers, European powers or Western powers, had definitely uh, uh, could uh, could have played some role in uh, promoting this establishment of uh, schools. Actually, uh, in Tomansky, that I mentioned earlier. He actually uh, mentions that uh, in the policy-making, imperial policy-making uh, uh, group of the Russian Empire, of the Tsarish Russian Empire, there were those, like uh, uh, Baron Rosen, who was the leading scholar of uh, Baha'i studies in uh, in Russia. There were some people that were actually thinking of Baha'is as uh, as a protégé, as a Russian protégé, with whom they can actually influence more within Iran, had to have more influence because of those many Baha'is in high places. Uh, so as a tool for improving their position versus Britain and versus other uh, powers in Iran. Uh, some, uh, there is some indication also about Muzaffar al Shah's weak character, contradictory to uh, his father, uh, Nasser al din Shah, that this may have played some role in not opposing too much the establishment of Baha'i schools. Uh, And also there there was, by the end of the 19th century, a more lenient and relaxed atmosphere towards the Baha'is since the last uh, years of Nasr Shah's rule, and to this even indicates Baha'u'llah himself before he died in 1892, he says in one of these tablets that uh, Nasser Shah has been during his recent years, or uh, last years, quite uh, um, more, I don't want to say liberal, but more moderate toward the Baha'is. By the end of the 19th century, we also see that uh, there was uh, more and more uh, uh, distinction between, the disobedient and subversive Babis versus the obedient and the loyal Baha'is. If you look at the the literature throughout the entire 19th century, they always mix. They call all all of them Babis. But by the end of 19th century, it was more or less uh, clear who is the Babis, and from that uh, developed the Azalis as well. Uh, and the Baha'is, which are uh, more, as I said, uh, more obedient and loyal to the state. And less violent, because uh, in 1852 it were uh, Babis that were tried to assassinate Nasser Dinshah, didn't succeed. Uh, Baha'i schools were registered, and this is very important, um, Baha'i regi- uh, uh, schools were, uh, once the state agreed to permit The establishment of Baha'i schools, they were not registered as Baha'i schools, but for example some Baha'i, Iranian Baha'i who wanted to open schools, so he got Mirza such-and-such got permission to open schools. There is no mention of him being a Baha'i. So in this way actually uh, the state didn't uh, recognize the community and in a way also uh, try to minimize or uh, disguise the opposition of the uh, those who opposed to such establishment of uh, Baha'i schools what interest the bahais had in this period for opening their own schools well we mentioned that before importance of uh, education in the bahai faith which is a, a, a religious duty so that's for easier so it means that it always existed but in this period, there was probably a ripe time to prop- propel the Baha'i community in Iran from obscurity into the open, pe- uh, open. There was a period of change, period of pre-constitutionalism in Iran. Constitutional uh, revolution started 1905. And with all these Anjumans and uh, associations, uh, secret societies at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, this probably uh, probably was a good opportunity for, in the eyes of the leadership of the Baha'is, to uh, make a move in that direction. And of course, the schools could be a tool for propagation of their faith among the majority Shia population as well as the religious minority uh, communities. What characteristics these these, uh, uh, schools had? Well, first of all, very important, which didn't happen with other schools, that they didn't have any religious studies in the curriculum. For example, the missionaries had religious studies. The Jewish Alliance Israelite Universal had, although one hour per week, but there was one hour per week uh, um, uh, religious Jew, Jew, Jewish studies. In the Baha'i schools, they, uh, they uh, made it, uh, uh, they were persistent not to include any religious studies, Bahá'í religious studies were uh, only on uh, Fridays, where the schools schools are in recess and uh, closed. And uh, the Bahá'í schools, uh, the Bahá'í children came to study in the schools only, uh, in what they call the the moral classes, uh, where they teach uh, moral issues as well as the teachings of the uh, leaders of the faith. Uh, The Baha'i schools also followed the curriculum of the Ministry of Education. It means that they didn't uh, uh, bring about a new uh, curriculum. They followed the... uh, This uh, very much uh, uh, suits their obedience of the state program and of state rules. Uh, They kept a relatively high standard in teaching, teaching staff, which was uh, Baha'i and therefore motivated by religious duty teaching accessory, for example, you could see at the end of 19th century, beginning of 20th century, uh, schools that have wall maps, uh, libraries, laboratories, skeleton for uh, anatomy classes, foreign magazine in order to study English, uh, and different things. They had also enrichment classes beyond what I said before, what the Ministry of Education actually uh, uh, orders to, to be taught. They had enrichment classes like gymnastics. We know that uh, gymnastics as a state level was pro- uh, introduced only during the Reza period. Uh, uh, embroidery, for example, for girls. Theater, theater shows, which actually they, uh, um, they played and they invited the local uh, aristocracy and the local, uh, uh, shall we say, important people like the head of police and stuff like that. Uh, people like that to the theater and they sold tickets. So uh, a different uh, uh, enrichment activities. They also encouraged excellence. They had in the Baha'i schools the Dah, Sad and Hezar Afarim. So Hazar Afarim being the, the highest, of course, for the most excellent student. But there was an encouragement process, which was very important in order for the students to uh, uh, try to get better remar- remarks and uh, try harder. They also followed the local practices as to separation of sexes, outdoor appearance, etc. It means that they came with each other, left with each other. As far as there was no... uh, the the, the unveiling hasn't started yet. It started in 1936, uh, as we know from Reza Shah period. But until then, they kept the rule of uh, the social habits and uh, practices. And they were staffed, which is very important, staffed almost entirely by Iranians. The Alliance Israelite, there were many Jewish but from France. The missionaries were of course either from France, from uh, United States, from uh, uh, United Kingdom and elsewhere. So they were foreigners for the children but the uh, Baha'is were Iranians. Whether uh, born as Baha'is or they converted to the, uh, the Bahá'í faith, but they were Iranians speaking the language, speaking, uh, looking the same as the people, so there was no uh, immediate uh, distinction. Now we go number two. The question number two: Why does the Shah Pahlavi close the Bahá'í schools, in spite of the Bahá'í support to some core ideas of the Shah, such as modernization, emancipation of women, obedience to the state, anti-clericalism, and cetera. Uh, I will start with what, was, what is written as the official reason for the closure of the Baha'i schools in December 1934. The official reason was the Baha'is are not a recognized religion in Iran. In other words, they are like other Iranians, except for those Zoroastrian Jews and Christians who are recognized religions. Therefore, they should not close their schools in their holidays which doesn't correlate to the holidays of the state. So having closed once in 1933, and the state warned them, and once they again closed on uh, 1934 the school, the Reza Shah ordered uh, the closure of the uh, not all the schools but all the bahai schools that were closed on that day i am mentioning this in order to say that uh, to uh, reiterate this position this uh, uh, point that uh, in my view Reza Shah was an anti bahai <clears throat> he hated those who disobedient uh, his uh, rules so therefore, he closed all those Baha'i schools that were closed on that day. And not all the Baha'i schools were closed on that day. Some of them remained uh, open, and the reason is because the, the head of the uh, uh, main Baha'i schools in Tehran, the Tarbiyat school, which had uh, uh, Banin uh, for, for uh, boys and Banat for girls, two, two branches. He was very. Uh, um, he was very afraid that this uh, rule of Shoghi Effendi, who sits in Haifa in Israel, and ordered the Bahai schools to close on the Ayama e the the holy the holy uh, days of the Baha'i, the holidays of the Bahais, and he said, "Listen, we had already one warning. If we are going to close, there might be closures, and then." But um, Shoghi Effendi's response was actually, no, go ahead and close the thing. So the the telegram that the Shoghi Effendi sent to to head of the uh, Bahai school in uh, Tehran didn't reach in time for all the other, for many other schools. So those who remained open actually were forgiven. But the next year they were closed because of the They follow the rule so other possible reasons for closing the Baha'i schools by Reza Shah Uh, I mentioned the first one that they disregarded the main the previous warning Uh, the election of the first National Spiritual Assembly on the 26th of April 1934 if you go into the try to get into the state of mind of somebody like Reza Shah And it is 1934. It is the year that uh, the resumption of communist activity in Iran. Because uh, Arani and all these fellows came from, run from Germany because of Hitler, came to Iran and started to uh, activate the, reactivate the communist activity in Iran. And of course, uh, communist activity in Iran didn't start in 1934, but it was uh, before. So he knew, uh, he was aware of, such organizations that uh, have uh, that are have establishments that are uh, creating, uh, for example, uh, um, um, institutions of their own, and it was very of the uh, wary of those uh, organizations. And for him, probably, to establish a national spiritual assembly, nationwide, yes, that meant that you know be careful from these guys who might be trying to do something. Uh, Anti-Baha'i elements in the Baha'i state, in the Pahlavi state, most notably Baha'i uh, literature very much indicate to Muhammad Ali Furughi, who was uh, prime minister uh, at the time, um, who actually is quoted to, say, to have said that the Baha'i schools were a weapon to convert non-Baha'is to the Baha'i faith, therefore their schools need to shut down. Growing suspicion of Reza Shah, yes, I related to you a little bit uh, earlier, Baha'i universalism versus Pahlavi nationalism. In other words, the Baha'is are adhering to somebody who is out of Iran, and by thus they are actually disregarding the head of state in Iran, which is Reza Shah. For him, of course, it was something that he could not uh, agree to um and bahai religious versus uh, Reza Shah's secular application of uh, education i think this was a minor factor but still uh, needs to be mentioned uh, bahai contacts and good relations with foreign elements especially the british who actually gave up the in 1921 uh, 1920 uh, the uh, knighthood uh, for all his efforts in uh, palestine actually uh, which was, uh, if we know the, uh, the sensitivity of Iranians and Iranian leaders to British designs. So this was also probably uh, the close relations of Baha'is with the West British may have played a minor role as well. The size of Baha'i community, here he has uh, usually, for example, the Jews were in ghettos uh, the Christians were in their uh, own uh, neighborhood, but here we have a, a religious minority that its, uh, it's uh, geographical spread is all over uh, and uh, it is institutionalized on the local level, on the national level, so it could be something that Reza Shah might have noticed, a person as a Reza Shah was and uh, the large attendance of Muslim students at Baha'i schools. We have some Baha'i schools that even the number of uh, uh, Muslim uh, students is either equal and even a little bit more than uh, the Bahais. So this might have also alarmed the Shah what would happen. Uh, if you take a number of these things together, for example, furuqi is telling him also, you know, be aware these are the schools are used in order, they intended to convert the, uh, the non-Baha'is and here it he is a widespread so these things might have uh, played some role in closing the, the uh, Baha'i schools as a preemptive uh, act uh, sacrificed in domestic power gain the Baha'is also uh, were usually uh, the one Community within Iran that were usually sacrificed in the, in the power uh, rivalry between the state and the Shiite clerics. So uh, it could have been that before he wanted to, Reza Shah wanted to introduce some uh, more radical um, uh, reforms such as the unveiling of women, he, he wanted to give the clerics something in order to shut them up. Could be. So this was also a, a, a factor that may have been playing in this uh, the, 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 um, decision to close the Baha'i uh, schools. Actually, to this uh, to this issue refers also um, uh, Hushang uh, Shaabi. Shaabi, in his article in the very good uh, volume, a collection of articles on the uh, on the Baha'is and their social uh, uh, socio-historical studies on the Uh, Bahá'ís. Edited by the very same Buruksha that you mentioned and Sina Imitating the Turkish model. And we know also that uh, Reza Shah was very um, um, kind of following the matters that happened in uh, Turkey under Mustafa Kemal Atatürk. And uh, much of the reforms done in Turkey, he imitated them and implemented them in Iran, and there are actually a certain column in the Iranian newspaper that they were saying what is happening in Turkey on the on these issues so uh, the Turks uh, ataturk uh, actually closed the those schools also in uh, Turkey, so this might have also some influence on the on Reza Shah 's decision to close the schools now here I show you a number of uh, photos from the if, uh, of Baha'i schools, for example, this is the Ta'id Bo- uh, Boys School in Hamadan in uh, 1908. There are a number of those photos. Here, the graduation intermediate students at the Ta'id Boys Schools. Uh, no date, but late Qajar, by the way, all the photos are the courtesy of the Baha'i War Center. The Ta- Ta'id Boys Schools in Hamadan, late Qajar period. If you look at this and you see it uh, cut a little bit, but... Ta'id um, Boys School again in uh, 1925. The same,
2: the
1: very same people. Um, oh, sorry. In. Here, there is a full photo with the title there. Um, again, Ta'id boy school. Now, this uh, this was... Uh, uh, there is a Russian uh, writing on the on the side, so this could have been a Baha'i school in uh, in either Ashgabad or Baku, somewhere like that. By the way, the, the, the first Baha'i schools, the modern Baha'i schools, was established in Ashgabad in 1897. Um, this is the management committee of the Tehran Tarbiyat School, 1932. Uh, this is a group of pupils at the Tehran Tarbiat Girls' School. And the center with the dark dress is Princess Ashraf Pahlavi who actually with uh, her brother studied in elementary school in the Tarbiyat. Uh, here we see the involvement of American Baha'is into the the schools in Iran, the Baha- Baha'i schools in Iran, uh, in the middle with the impressive hat, Dr. Suzanne Moody, uh, which actually, uh, when she died, the Iranian newspapers uh, also mentioned her death. She was quite a figure. Here, students at the Darse akhlaq for girls, these moral classes in Tehran. This is after the closure of the schools in 1939, but the Darse akhlaq the moral classes kept. It wasn't a regular school. English class, Tarbiat Boy School. Also the writing is in English. Uh, there on the blackboard. A group of Baha'i women and children attending the women's emancipation celebration in the Savé branch of the Ministry of Education, 1930s, mid-1930s. Probably after the unveiling uh, rule. Here we see the picture of Reza Shah on top, a Baha'i girl's school. Ceremony for granting certificates of excellence to students. This is Vahdade Bashar Boys' School in Kashan, 1930. The Pahlavi hat is seen, of course, very visibly by the people wearing it. Student and staff at the Vahdade Bashar Boys' School in Kashan in 1909. and students and teachers, second grade classes uh, from Tarbiyat Boy School, Tehran, probably late Qajar. This is uh, what I referred to earlier, the gymnastics uh, classes. Ceremony at the Tarbiyat Boy School in Tehran, which actually was adjacent to the, the royal palace and the, in a in a short conversation that I had with uh, Professor Amin Banani, who passed away, uh, regrettably, he told me that uh, in his view one of the reasons was that uh, actually Reza Shah uh, wanted this territory of the school, so he ordered the, the school to be closed. No. It's not a new thing with Reza Shah, you know, taking the pieces of land, but I don't know. And. Um, the Tavakol Girls' School in Ghazvin, of course, with the sign of Ya Bahaw al that we can see, 1928, and again the sign is up there. The Tavakol Boys' School in Ghazvin, Tarbiat Boys' Schools. And um, I don't want to go into this, but a lot of uh, famous people are here in the, among the children. For example, I don't remember which, but in, in my book is written, one of those is uh, Manucher Farman Farmayan, of Far, Farman Farmayan family, which actually, uh, according to uh, um, Mujan Momen, the, the father was a Qajar prince. He, uh, he was Bahá'í. He converted to Bahá'í. Uh, Uh, I read, uh, for example, the book of his uh, daughter Satare Farman Farman and she is very uh, positive toward the Baha'i faith in her book. Student at the sport class in the Baha'i Tarbiyat Boys' School. Sixth grade, Tarbiyat Boys' School in Tehran. The same. This is the fifth grade. I, uh, this is Darsa Akhlaq class in Tarbiyat Elementary Boy School. This is actually the, the letter sent by uh, Ali Asghar Hekmat, was the acting um, uh, minister of education at the time, to uh, manager ahead of the Tarbiyyat Boy School, ordering to close the, the Baha'i uh, Tarbiyat Boy School. These are the certificates given to students. For example, sample of grade sheet, Karnameh, Students Tehran Tarbiat High School, 1917. So you have here, Quran, Shariyat, Farsi, Arabic, Adabiyah, Tarikh Iran, Tarikh Mumi, Tarikh Anbiya, Taalimate Madani, El Moashia, Zaban, Hesab, Hendese, Geographia, Jabr Mogabele, Fizik, Shimi, Tarikh Tabi'i, Mashkechat, Khat, Rasmun uh, Akhashi, gymnastics yes, all these different uh, issues, different uh, fields. This is on the other side in English, so it was very important to have the bilingual. Um, of course, this is the, the star with the nine, um, what do you say, the nine points, um, which, resemb- which is uh, symbols uh, the... Uh, Baha'i, uh, one of the Baha'i symbols, the numbers of nine and 19th, uh, here Saadat Emeli Boys School in Najafabad, 1934, Saadat Emeli Girls School in Najafabad, uh, the same school in 1934, with the sign Yabaha Walabha there, and we get to question number 3, if you remember it was uh, what conclusion could be drawn regarding the activity of the Baha'i schools in Iran and the current historiography on modern Iran in general and in the field of modern education in particular? Well, the first of all the Baha'i schools formed the first laboratory in modern Iran for intercommunal contact where Muslims sat and studied under the same roof and on quite equal terms alongside Jewish, Zoroastrian and Baha'i children. The Baha'i uh, schools provided education facilities not only in major urban cities, but also in remote places, wherever there was a Baha'i community, of course, where they were, uh, there was no state-run or any other schools. So in other words, in the in the circumstances that there is no state-run schools by the Qajars, later there was in uh, in the Pahlavi period, but even, even in the Pahlavi period, there wasn't a school everywhere. So in, in certain places, there was only a Baha'i school in that locality. So that's a very important thing. Um, Baha'i schools were attended by children from all socioeconomic classes of the local society, from the aristocracy as well as the lower classes, with those in Tehran, attended by the children of leading figures from the elite and even the royal family. Uh, in the book that I uh, written about the schools, the Forgotten Schools, I titled it Forgotten Schools because they are not mentioned in any study on education in Iran. Um, Although there have been tens and dozens of them, uh, I have a list of a number of uh, Iranians that actually uh, leading Iranians, from leading families that actually studied there, starting with Mohammad Reza Shah and his sister and many other uh, people. And the role of the Baha'is in the field of modern education in Iran, stresses the shortcomings of the current historiography in in that field, in the field of education, but not only. Likewise, the important role of the Baha'is in other major fields, such as governance, practice of democracy, status of women, economy, human rights, health, modernization, etc. A sample of those fields you can see in the book that I mentioned earlier, edited by Brookshaw and uh, Fazel, uh, social uh, historical studies on the Baha'i issue, the the field of women and the field of uh, uh, um, uh, hygiene and um, and medicine and onward. And uh, and those uh, stress the shortcomings of current historiography in those fields. And uh, I would say that uh, It is, to me, a strange thing that, uh, you know, you have uh, sources in Persian by the Baha'is. And there is almost, I would say, 98%, if I'm, I don't know what uh, Professor Milani thinks, but the vast majority of uh, studies on Iran don't use those sources. And not using those sources when we know that they play the major role in those fields it means that uh, there is a problem with the historiography of modern era. Thank you. Can you
0: take some questions? Sure. Sure. Please. <coughs> yes, please. Let us begin. Do we have an estimate on how many students were educated
1: in these schools? Yes, if you uh, if you have it, uh, if you have the you have the book. I do. I, I send you yeah. the, the Persian one. Yeah. So you have um, uh, the the you have three, if I remember, three or four, four uh, um, appendices. The first appendix, it has all the names of the schools that I traced with the number where there was these data, so there is a huge uh, data uh, there that could be used for another studies. I just uh, did my first shot in this and uh, there is a room for, uh, I think, many more uh, studies in this field. Uh, Of course, there is uh, the problem of um, access to Baha'i sources, what the Baha'i World Center has been done in the I think 10, 15 years, 10 years, something like that. They are loading uh, online, making online a lot of uh, Baha'i sources. But to this point is mainly the holy writings. It's not the the sources that, for example, I've seen. This means that you have to get permission to go into the major Baha'i libraries. So it means in Haifa, which is the major one. Uh, And it took me... A very snail processing process until I was ge- uh, given the permission to work on those, but there is now a new uh, library that was that has been opening in uh, near Cambridge in the uh, United Kingdom uh, that was uh, closed for twenty five years they, they found, finally found a home for it and uh, it 's open now, but it 's not catalog uh, so it 's a process that it has to be it will take probably a number of more decades. Uh, that it will be more accessible. And I don't know uh, to tell you specific library, non-Baha'i library that has, uh, I, think, I think in uh, Leiden they have a good collection. And in uh, Harvard there is also, but it's not the same like the, so that by itself um, prevents a, a major studies in this field. Yes, please, you want to yeah. Thank you very much, first
2: of all, for your very informative uh, uh, presentation. As you mentioned, uh, you know the school started during the, at the time of the Mozaffarian Shah. Yes. Yeah. You also mentioned that maybe he was kind of he had a weak character, uh, maybe maybe not as strong. Uh, what was the position of the clerics at the time? You know, he being a weak kind of a Shah, and were they in a strong position? And why didn't they oppose, or did they oppose not strongly they. to this? And they, at the end, still they lost. The uh, school started.
1: Yes, there there was a major opposition of the clerics, and this is uh, on the national level. But, as I said, there were a lot of uh, either Baha'i or pro-Baha'i or pro-Reform officials in uh, different places. Uh, So, uh, your question has to be referred locally. In certain localities, the clerics were more strong, more influential, they had some influence on the governor, and they closed them, for example, for a short while, and then the Bahá'í sent a, a, a cable or a, a telegram to uh, the Tehran, and the Tehran authorities that were there, more pro-Bahá'í or Bahá'í officials, they pressed the Shah, and the cable came back open. So there was, on the... There was. One chapter in my book is the opposition to the Baha'i schools. So there is a lot of cases like uh, I mentioned, but on, on the local basis, it's not on the, of course, on the national basis, all the clerics were against it. Because, I, it's a, first of all, it's a post-Muhammadan or post-Islamic religion. So if you say Muhammad is the Khatam al-Anbiya, the last of the prophets, you cannot afford to be another revelation. Uh, So by itself, but specifically, uh, the fact that through the education, the Baha'is are actually saying that uh, a believer uh, can actually understand the writings by himself and act upon them, he doesn't need this. In, uh, mediators, have called uh, cler- uh, clerics or mujtahids. This by itself make them immediate uh, uh, danger to their position in the society. So therefore, it's a uh, as you say, f- uh, it's a battle for life <laughs> for the clerics. Yes. So what happened after the schools were closed? Were there enough other schools that absorbed students, especially for girls? Yes, we are talking about of course the Pahlavi uh, um, period, so the, the Baha'is, uh, some Baha'is uh, were kind of in a, didn't know what to do after, so some some children lost one year of schooling, but most of them actually entered the, the local, uh, the state system education uh, uh, schools. There, which weren't uh, close to them. Unlike th- today, for example, which uh, the university level is close to them. So uh, there wasn't a problem for them entering the, uh, the um, regular schools. Yes?
2: Yes, you mentioned this uh, Russian source, Alexander Kumansky. Tumansky. Kumansky.
1: Alexander Grigorovich Tumansky. Yes, Did
2: yes. you mention again um, what was his uh, position or role? And also the sources, uh, the references in connection with uh, the high officials in the Baha- uh, connected to the Bahai faith that he mentions are those available in English, do you know, or only
0: Russian?
1: Well, uh, my second book on this, uh, um, uh, we have made a two-volume book on the Russian sources on Bahai uh, studies, which are all translated and annotated, with introduction it's called the bahais of iran transcaspia and the caucasus so you have it in english you have uh, all the material so i mean it's it's i don't know i mean it's available it's by ib Taurus in 2011 was published so yes please he
2: said that after that the bahais were not allowed to have any formal education but at one point
1: they oh no, i didn't that. say that that they, they didn't have but they were a so no a no No, no, the Baha'is, the schools were closed, but they were permitted to enter the regular uh, schools. Right, so... By the way, after the Baha'i schools, also other uh, um, religious minority schools were closed, other missionaries, and they were nationalized in a way. So... So how did it transition
2: from the Baha'i schools being closed and Baha'is being allowed in other schools to the current situation
1: in Iran of Baha'is not being allowed to... Where was the, the it's it's clear to me because the the clerics took over the power and of course as I said they were the the biggest rivals or the biggest threat to the clerics. There was the Baha'is and they are fighting them uh, very viciously. So uh, it it didn't immediately start with the 1972 with the revolution and establishment of the Islamic Republic, but uh, later of course they uh, they. Uh, um, uh, the, they uh, prevented them the entry. Then there was the development of uh, BIHE, the Bahai, uh, the B-H-I-E, excuse me, the Baha'i Higher Education, Institute, Institute of Higher, Higher Education, Education. So, BIHE. And uh, after that, this was closed as well. So uh, whatever uh, to, uh, in order to uh, either uh, prevent the Baha'is to prosper, so throw them to jail, make them flee the country, and there is, of course, a lot of sacrifices made by the Baha'is because, after all, Iran is a sacred uh, country for them because the, the religion started for them and the, Baha'i, the Persian language is also very important because of that. Yes, please. So this is a personal
0: question for you. Uh, you seem to have done a lot of research in this area. You explain why you uh, developed this interest on this topic because you wanted to present Atlantic. And, and then your interest is continued and you're, you're continuing to work in this space. I'm curious to know what propels you in this direction and what, what the... I um, understand. ...are, are uh, personally of interest to you. And, and, and the second part of that is really, uh, what gap do you feel that your work is actually addressing to fill?
1: Okay, first of all, um, as a scholar, I mean, all scholars are always looking for something new. I mean, if you go and do research on something that has been extensively researched, so your net net uh, contribution is nothing. I mean, uh, so somebody who is, uh, after doing a, a degree, a PhD, very quickly, so he goes and does some tricks, that's why you are not talking about that. So you always want, uh, and to me, it was like a black hole. There is a black hole in modern Iranian history called the the role of the bahais in the community and this black hole is not addressed because of mainly political issues so in other words there are a lot of I would say scholars in Iran who want, and in other syncopes I would have probably wanted to do research, but they know if they do research on the Baha'is, then they would be prevented, not given visa, a visa to go in Iran, not to mention cooperation with Iranian sc- uh, scientists and scholars, not to mention access to s- uh, sources in Iran. So it it keeps uh, this situation, it keeps uh, you know continuing. So somebody like me, who is Israeli, then there is no problem of going to iran because it's a one way street I, I don't want to <laughs> so for me i didn't have all this consideration and the, the 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 fact that i was in haifa and the center is there i approached them and closely, as i said it took some time and they they opened to the idea and so the second one was the second question
0: yeah, so so how is your work um, Fill
1: the gap so far because you said it's a big huge black hole yes i mean in, in terms
0: of chipping away at
1: it yes in, in terms of the field of education you i took all the books articles that has been written about education in iran before my research there is no mention of any bahai uh, schools by mistake a certain uh, book by a lady, uh, I don't remember her uh, Forsani something Forsani in uh, published in 1999 in Iran. She talks about Bahai. Uh, she, she talks about uh, um, girls' schools in Iran, and you see in the list that she gives a number of these Bahai schools, but she doesn't know they are Bahai. This is Madrasa <laughs> Tarbiat. You understand? So, and in other, uh, in so here we have. few few mention of some schools by name, without mentioning these are Baha'is. Therefore, not addressing all this influence. And in other uh, academic books, there is no mention. I think only in uh, the book by uh, Banani from 1961, Stanford University actually, Yes. Um, on the modernization of Iran during Reza Shah period, there is uh, one and a half lines about uh, some Baha'i schools. So... There is not nothing. So, in my respect, I've, I think I've done a lot in order to fill the gap. But as I said, this is only the beginning. There is a, with small sources coming in to light or processing, uh, the the big data that I have collected and it's in the book. Other uh, books could be or books or article could be written. Yes. Uh,
2: we read in our um, high publication by the name of uh, Star of the West, yes. or Yes. that Abdel Kohal initiated some um, educational exchanges between Iran and um, <coughs> the West, Yes. particularly United States, yes. um, Martha Ruth going That's to right. Iran, yes. um, going Khan, coming to America around 1906, and then the, these activities continued um, and by the way, by, was led by Monira Khan Abdul Baha 's wife, mm-hmm. uh, and then ended with an institution for women in Haifa. I was just wondering if there was if there's remnants of that at all in Haifa. Do you know anything that um there is- any institution in Haifa that got the idea from that?
1: I don't know of any institutions in Haifa, as you describe. I know about these initiatives that there were. There, there, it, it was open, even developed into the Iran-America society, something like that, that uh, the many teachers came mainly to the tarbiyat Banat in, uh, in Tehran. Uh, and the, the number of American educators in the Tarbiyat was uh, quite a lot, especially the, um, the, uh, the girls' school. But uh, there is no—I don't know of any such institution today uh, in uh, in Haifa or in any parts of Israel. What there is in Haifa is the main uh, institution of the Baha'is, the Baha'i World Center, with the Universal House of Justice uh, as a leadership uh, uh, body, and uh, the holy places in Acre And uh, I, actually, I have a PhD student who is doing uh, research on the. Baha'i settlements in, in, uh, in uh, Palestine, or in the land of Israel, as the other version. Uh, east, uh, and he concentrating mainly on the settlements that were uh, east of the Lake Ineret. If you know Israel a little bit, Lake Tiberias, what they call Lake Tiberias. And there were a number of uh, uh, villages. And there is a very interesting because, for example, I, I said that you know there is a black hole. So, in land of Israel studies, there is such field. Land of Israel studies. In the land of Israel studies, there is no mention of any sources, Bahai sources. While we know, for example, that these Bahai lands were coveted by the Zionist movement, and they finally bought it this way or other from the Bahais. So, there is a big uh, role or a, a, a hidden part of the Land of Israel studies that was revealed by using Baha'i sources that actually brings to light the, the place or the role that these uh, Baha'is, these Baha'i lands played in the development of the Zionist movement in, uh, in the Land of Israel or in Palestine. Yes, please.
2: In one of your slides, you mentioned about the connection of the Baha'is with foreign powers as possible influence of the progress of these uh, schools.
1: Yes, not the progress. I said maybe the influence of those powers on the statement, the Qajaran uh, statement, in order to open, to permit the opening of the schools. Right.
2: So uh, as I'm sure you know, currently, the Iranian government accuses the Baha'i being agents of, of
1: israel russia yes yeah.
2: united states russia yes. and so, on. so in your research uh basically could you elaborate on the nature of this relationship was it mainly educational sociological or uh, have you found any evidence of any kind of a political machination or agents?
1: Well, not agents, but for example, you take for somebody that I wrote an entry for the Iranica um, on the Haji uh, Mirza Mohammad Taghi Shirazi Afnan. He was one of the major merchants in in the in the second half of nineteenth uh, century in Iran. A good friend, and uh, I would say, you know, somebody who. On a regular basis, it corresponded with uh, Amin al the leading merchant of the period, (coughs) who was involved in establishing these uh, uh, um, um, council of merchants. uh, Majalas et tajarat was a leading role. And he became, uh, in uh, the 1870s, the Russians picked him up to become their agent, their uh, uh, consul in Yazd. And he was, for 10 years, uh, Russian consul in Yazd, and he was, therefore, uh, given the title of Rus. and uh, so he was an agent, but agent in salary, not agent as a secret agent. I mean, he was uh, working openly, and he uh, served the interests of Russia because of his post, of course, in that uh, area. But also he knew how to use it for his own, uh, being a merchant an international merchant that has business in Ashgabat and also Central Asia to for his own purposes as well so for example uh, there is a theft of his uh, some of his commodity in uh, in Russia he sends a letter to the authorities of uh, Transcaspia the Russian authorities of Transcaspia and then uh, what was before Turkistan, then became Kaspian, and then Central Asia, and asking for protection, uh, for uh, um, asking them to uh, do whatever they can to reimburse what has been stolen. Uh, So there is this kind of erasure. I won't call them agents in a way that uh, you uh, indicated. Of course, they are saying that the Baha'is are being in Haifa, they are agents of the Zionists, so they say. They say a lot of things, <laughs> as we know. <laughs> you don't have to be. You know, they have the um, the chutzpah. You know, i was just saying. You, say. <laughs> you have the chutzpah to be involved in uh, um, Syria and in, in Iraq to kill civilians, but they attack the Saudis that for they calling genocide of the Yemenis. So these are the hypocrisy that we live in. Yes, please. Uh,
2: you at the end of 19th century, uh, maybe 10% of population were Bahai.
1: No, I, what I said is that there is a range 1% 10%. Right. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering uh, before uh, before
2: 1979, how many percent of the population of Iran was Bahai, and my feeling was that they were not so many. Um, what happened during this period? Is Up to
1: 1979?
2: Uh, yes, 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 from 1930
1: to 79. What happened with the Baha'i population? Well, uh, there is a, this is kind of an enigma also, because if you look uh, during the Pahlavi period, I think Professor Mil- Milali will agree, when you look at the number of Baha'is, For decades, it's 300,000. That's what you hear. So I, I say I don't think that every Baha'i family has two kids. And when the the father and parents die, and they have, so they replace each other. So, uh, so in my view, there is, you know, you have to take it as part of the growth of the population. So if the population grows, then I I assume that the number of Baha'is also have grown. To some extent, I think that the Baha'i World Center probably doesn't have the interest to publish the exact figure, if they know the exact figure. I don't know, but I think they need to keep it in order not to make it like a bigger danger for the regime. So, But in my own feeling as a follower of the issues, I think we are talking about much more. Probably in during, uh, after the 1971, even more so, because of the distance created between the population and the regime, because of what the, the population actually distanced itself from Islam as well, because of they identify the crimes of the regime with Islam, so therefore there's a great move to Zoroastrianism, to Christianity, and I think also to to the Bahai faith, because the principles of Ahaizer are very very uh, i would say uh, principles that many the young generation iranians are uh, appealed to to appeal to them uh, but of course they won't come and say we are baha'is because of many reasons uh, including uh, execution or uh, deprivation of uh, higher education and stuff like that yes and baha'i respect, uh, do, do baha'i respect the islamic uh, holidays
2: generally like Muharram and so on I, I
1: don't know yeah well the Baha'is uh, by, by, uh, by faith they respect the, the local habits and uh, holidays but they also they have their own so I mean they uh, still obedient to the state rules because this is part of their uh, faith to be obedient to the state no matter this is a state that actually kills them or persecutes them still yes please
2: Comment about what your uh, I mean. You mentioned about modernity in Iran and how the uh, basically the educational uh, attitude of people uh, came about. But the, you you emphasized that Bahá'ís emphasize a lot on education. Can you comment about how they you know who and how they basically became so? Uh, emphasizing
1: so much on education, and at what period was that? Well, they always emphasized education because it's part of the faith. But, uh, but the,
2: Bob, did Bob that, or did Bahá'u'lláh?
1: Was uh, it was more Bahá'u'lláh, and more m- m- so because Bahá'u'lláh died in 1892. So it was more, if you talk about modern education, it was mainly Abdu'l-Bahá. That was the actually the the engine that m- m- uh, pushed towards establishing those schools. Still, because of what I said, the period of late 19th century, when Abdu'l-Baha was the leader of the Baha'i community, it was more a period that was ripe for establishing those schools, as I said, from obscurity to the open, because of the uh, the period was more, people were more open to change. Uh, the the, the winds of change that came from Europe, uh, there was a movement towards constitutionalism, um, anti-absolutism in Iran, so all these things uh, probably brought him to decide to move on, and there was a need also from, as I said, for for modern education, then all this combined probably uh, uh, helped the decision to establish such schools. And uh, and the result is that uh, he was right, because most of them were attended by many non-Baha'is. Well,
0: our time is up. Please join me in uh, thanking for